I'm afraid it's going to happen no matter what you do about it, friend. It's going to happen. Bring it up there, big Jim, Jim, Jim. Oh, <laughs> oh that was great. And you know, here's the star of our show, me. And uh, I'm about to, uh, if you don't mind, uh, since this is the beginning of the week. Hey, what a fantastic day, huh? Oh, man, I'm beginning to feel the creative juices flowing through me like the vast river Nile flowing down to the heart of Africa itself, giving sustenance to the land, to the world, and bringing the word to those around him less fortunate. what that was. <laughs> that was a record that I brought back from Nigeria. Yeah, it's a Nigerian recording. Well, yeah, it doesn't sound the way you think a Nigerian record would sound, but that's the way Nigerian music really does sound. That's pop. Oh, by the way, speaking of the pop world, it's taken over on all sides. We would like to salute the new school. According to a news note we just received here, the new school now offers a course in pornography. It's called Porno 101. And we'd like to salute the new school for that uh, step forward. They've been teaching that down at the American Legion on Wednesday nights and the smokers for years, and they finally caught up with Slavus Americanus. <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> but they make it sound so dudly. So deadly and dull, you know. They call it the inner erotic personal relationships. Investigation into the film exposition of uh, said inter 
erotic personal relationship. Leave it to the academic world to make the most fantastic stuff in the world sound, you know, like yesterday's jello. You know, with all the green of the vanilla jello in a hot sun. But uh, the corner one, I can just see the uh, professor, you know, somehow. That's, uh, I, I can see, see, you can't you just see the, how they're going to teach these things? And naturally, everything will have to be done with, uh, as typical in the academic world, it'll have to be done with a straight face. You know, no way can the professor say, hey, listen, gang, tonight, hey, close the door, will you come on? Uh, uh, the student there in the back, please close the door and make sure the lock is closed. And, uh, oh, yeah, all of you over by the window there, uh, pull the shades down. Oh, we got a goodie for you tonight, oh, my God. <laughs> we just got this one this in from Denmark, it's fantastic. Yeah, all right, uh, uh, turn the lights down. Okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not going to be that way. Not going to be that way. No, no, no. I can just see the professor say, uh, you know, some of these, uh, some of these have uh, soundtracks on them. So give me a little soundtrack music. Yeah, cut to just quiet in the background. Yeah, quiet. No, no, set it in there. Give me the music. All that talk is not going to do us any good. Come on, come on. Give me the, give me the music, Jimmy. I'd love to hear that talking. But this is not a Nigerian porno film. There we go. Yeah, see, I can just see the music from the way there. See. On comes the credits, you know. The uh, film under discussion tonight, gang, is, uh, I mean students, is the orgy up in Lil's room. Now, as you know, last week we discussed in great detail the origin, the basic Greek uh, uh, beginnings of the orgy in Western civilization. And tonight uh, we are going to see a film, a cinema uh, effort, which uh, describes an orgy in uh, uh, extreme detail. Of course, this is all part of the technical. Now, you'll notice this gentleman that, uh, who seems to be entering the room here, you'll notice that he is wearing black stockings. Uh, anybody here any, have any idea of the significance of the black socks? You'll notice he is wearing a mustache and black glasses. Now, the lady who was emerging from the door in the corner there appears to have what looks like at this point, the film is a little fuzzy here. Please, would you uh, stop the film for a moment? Well, he's not, yes, that is a feather boa. She is, that's the only thing she's wearing there. And of course, the feather boa has its origins uh, in the early Egyptians. And, uh, hold it, thank you. <laughs> at that point, hold it, thank you, James, thank you. But uh, the idea of porno, incidentally, you get, uh, you get three credit hours for that. It's in the uh, humanities division down there at the new school. And uh, where else would it be? And uh, I kind of like the way things are going. You know, it's, it, have you ever had a feeling that Attila the Hun is now in control of our cultural life somewhere? The spectral shade of Attila the Hun. He would have loved it. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, you see what I'm saying, Jim? There's a lot to be learned in this world. This is W.O.R. New York. Hi, George. Yes, sir. An RKO General Station. Hey, hey, listen. The one question I got it. Did you see our ad in the in the New York Times over the weekend? Have you got the old New York Times over the weekend? You know, the Sunday Times. Take out the theater section, friend, and you'll find our ad for the Carnegie Hall. Oh, it's kind of great, you know, to see stuff there. Right there, you know, on that ad right there next to, you know, right there, the official types. You know, David Merrick just takes out an ad every week in the Times, even when he doesn't have any running. You know, once in a while, he just puts the thing, don't forget David. 
you know. Merrick is still here, you know. <laughs> oh, good. Excellent. Uh, just a minute here. No, I don't want to. I don't want to rot your wine, your head anymore. I tell you this though. Speaking of rotting the head, I uh, I just it's, it's philosophical question here. I'd like to bring up. Uh, the question is this, roughly: uh, Do you share the rest of your fellow man's desire to get something for nothing? <laughs> I'm asking you a serious question. <laughs> I mean, really, seriously. I mean, I don't think there's a man with soul so dead who never proved himself as said, Oh, God, I wish I hit the double jackpot. And the money would start coming out of the ventilators and squirting out of the air conditioning unit, and there'd be fantastic chicks with enormous, you know what, strolling through my office demanding to be shown some attention just because I'm more and I'm cute. That's all right. You want you want it for nothing, right? Yeah, well, that's just a, for example. You, well, look, the urge to want something for nothing is an age-old human failure. Now, now the, the squirrels do not share this with us. The squirrel knows he knows very well. But if he's going to have acorns in mid-January, you better start collecting acorns somewhere around July. You agree with this? He's not going to hit the double quinella acorn jackpot somewhere around December, and you know acorns are going to start coming down out of the sky. No, no, man is 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 it, he wants something for nothing. Like like the other day, I'm listening to one of these all news stations, and I hear this guy running for mayor. Now you see the the, the chief premise upon which almost all political campaigns are based is to offer the average walking-around slobberoony something for nothing. Now, it can, if, you, if you get too definite about it, you're liable to get shot down. You have to offer him things in general for nothing. You ever come right out and say, I'm going to offer, as I stand here before all of you, anybody named Smith in his town is going to get a free Buick Electra. Anyway, that, that way lies disaster. You agree with that? Because there's going to be a lot of guys named uh, Bullard, Steinbrunner, Axelrod, you know, who are going to really raise up and, and cause all kinds of confusions. And you never have to identify, you never identify the group, you think, that you're going to get something for nothing. So you say things like this. I believe that members of the minority in this town each one, a 17-inch color television set provided free by the city. I believe that for every... Well, now, you see, you're not, you're not identifying the minority because everybody in this town thinks of himself as a minority. And in fact, he is. Each person in his own right believes that he is beleaguered. He is surrounded by organized groups. Even if he belongs to seven organized groups, which are dedicated to, pro to the premise that they are really the only ones that represents the true will of the people. Remember that. But see, I'm giving you a little technique too. If you're going to run for office, you got to be very careful. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? What has a minorities? Everybody gets a 17-inch color. Set. Now, on the other hand, what he has to say. Now, I feel there. I'm listening to the news, and this is what the guy said. 
I thought this was kind of great. I believe in law and order. I want to tell you that this town is being taken over by the criminals. It's being taken over by the hood. And a previous administration played handy-pandy with all them guys. And I want to say this. I want to tell you that law and order is taking over the city. I want to see three cops on every corner. I want to see a squad car on every block. Maybe three, four of them. Law and order is important. Now, to the next thing that I am standing for, I am standing for lower taxes. I want to tell you this. Guys, are, nobody can afford to live in this town because of the taxes. The taxes are gotten out of hand. So I'm going to say, cut the taxes by one toy. I see. Slumber Mooney is getting something for nothing. More cops, more squad cars, less taxes. Now, this is going to be achieved, has to be handled very delicately, because some sore head in the crowd, you know, like, uh, you know, one of the reporters who saw, uh, say, uh, Mr. Candidate, how do you, uh, how do you feel uh, that you're going to be able to give us uh, three times more policemen at the same time uh, cut the taxes by one third? How are you going to do that? Well, I am glad, Dave, that you asked that question. That question has been asked many times, and I'm glad to take this public opportunity to answer that question. We are going to stop waste and corruption in this city. If all the money that we just waste run out the water, right out the window, if all that money was put into the police force, we would have a police force that just wouldn't stop. We could have 25, maybe 40,000 more cops here in this town. I am going to stop corruption. Well, now, that's... That's the way to answer a question like that, see. Now, if the next guy gets up and says, uh, Well, Mr. Uh, Mr. Candidate, uh, you just said that you're going to stop corruption. Uh, what? Uh, do you have anything in mind? Do you have any uh, particular corruption that you would like to uh, stop in mind? Uh, uh, you know, that, that's going to save us all this money. Would you please answer that question, please, sir? Well, thank you very much, Gabe. Uh, I'm glad you brought that question up. At this time, I am not at liberty to divulge the names of the malefactors who have been systematically joking the city of its hard-earned tax money. The people of the city of New York have contributed their taxes willingly, but these malefactors, which I am not at the delivery at this time, to designate, and most of them are from out-of-town contractors, people which do not... Uh, appear on the city payrolls. We are not at liberty to divulge this. However, when our our new administration begins, you will be hearing plenty from my anti my anti corruption squad, which I am forming, headed by my brother-in-law, who is a famous anti corruption fighter. As a matter of fact, uh, his uh, his we already have uh, put in nomination for his assistant, my cousin who, uh, as you know, has established a fantastic record among anti-pollution and anti-corruption uh, anti peoples all over the country. Uh, are there any other questions here now? You've got to cover all bases. Very important. You realize that? The slab wants something for nothing, doesn't he? Well, I mean, I include myself, don't you? I mean, how, how many times have you have you sat behind a, 
How many times have you sat behind a cab driver's seat? And a uh, typical, typical cab driver, you're riding up uh, 6th Avenue, and you now turn off 6th Avenue, you turn the right, we'll say, on 30th Street. You're right down there in the heart of the, of the heavy traffic area, you see, and the, the cars are, are blocked one after the other. See, there, there's guys parking triple, quadruple up ahead of you, and, and the, the cab pulls into, this is a typical slob looking for something for nothing, see, the cab pulls into 30th Street, you are heading east, and the cab driver then sees this fantastic mass of traffic up ahead, see? And there's guys triple parked. There's, there's uh, cabs unloading people. He says, oh, well, you look at them slops. Boy, I'll tell you, one thing about these people, nobody gives a damn about nobody else. You know what they ought to do? I'll tell you what they ought to do. Look at that, look at that meter ticking over. And I didn't want you to, to, to get held up like that. I'll tell you this. What they ought to do is they ought to put a tow truck on every one of these streets. And the minute some car stops, they ought to just simply tow them right out and dump that damn car in Jersey swamps. I'm just telling you, this is getting to be too much. One day this town is just going to be tied up. Nobody's going to get thrown, right? Oh, man, man. With this guy in the office, with this guy at mayor, you know, what do you expect with the mayor we got? I mean, this guy here is such a slobby. I'll tell you this mayor. You know, this mayor goes around rides a bicycle in the park. He's got all these little oopsie-poopsie things with the balloons of, over at the museum. And what the hell does he know about the traffic on 30th Street, huh? You think he ever rides a cab? Up? Hell no. He's got himself one of these city, what, are, what do they call them, limousines, limousines, something like that, a big caddy, you know, with a guy's out in front of lights flashing. He don't have to sit here like, look at that, look at that idiot up there in front there. Look what that guy's doing. He's been sitting there five minutes just chewing a fat. Okay, now there, there, you got one side of him. So he sounds like he's really worried about traffic. Now, how many times have you sat in that same cab, and the cab stops at the corner of, uh, say, Third Avenue and Thirtieth Street? Uh, <laughs> you know, the cars are lined up behind you; they're all heading towards the Midtown Tunnel, and the cab driver turns around and he stops right in the middle of the street. He says, "Okay," he says, oh, "That's a dollar fifty on a meter." About 50 on a meter. Hey, what do you think of the Mets? I'll tell you. Hey, you know, they look like they're coming along. Yeah, yeah. Uh, gee, I ain't got no change for five. No, hell, we'll have to say, listen, do you mind if I get out and run into the bar here? Got to go to the John anyway. I'll, I'll just uh, run into the bar here and change the fight out of Bill. You wait right. I'll be right out. And the horns are back. And he comes back. Oh, shut up, you guys. Who the hell do you think you're hollering at? Shut up, you guys. Don't give me that business. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could ship you like my sister Kitty. She just ships and shakes it. Yeah, like jelly on a plate. I wish I could ship you like my sister Kitty. Thank you, thank you. That was very nice. I don't know why we did that, but it's very nice. I wish I could shimmy like my sister Kate. She can shimmy like jelly on... Oh, oh listen, uh, one more... The, the, the urge to get something for nothing is always with us. And I have with you here... 
like to put this into the exhibit, uh, Senator, please. I'd like to put this on the record here. Uh, speaking of getting something for nothing, it's a catalog from one of the big mail order houses, which shall go unnamed, going into my file of uh, significant trivia to be dug up in the year 2,500 so they know what the hell it was really like at this time. This takes care of the New York Times book review supplement. Here's a... Uh, Right here, you can see it looks beautiful. And the headline shows this guy looking very proud. He's pointing at his bookshelves. And the bookshelves are filled with magnificent buckram-bound volumes, bound in all kinds of great leathers. And uh, you can just a very official library. You know the kind of library you always see David Niven in? Or, uh, you know, or, <laughs> or, yeah, or C. Aubrey Smith. The kind of library that even has a little, you know, a great thing to have in your library. It has a little... Uh, uh, ladder that runs around on a track. You know, in case it's a very serious album, you want to get up to the top there. Well, you can now get from this mail order place, here's the headline, have a complete bound classical library without troublesome books. Well, that's been one of the problems for years. Uh, a lot of people would like to have a great library, but then all those books are around, you know? You realize this. I mean, you know, they, you have to... Because uh, sometimes some forces, you know what, is going to say to you, Oh, Vanity Fair, by George, Thackeray. Huh. Uh, gee, that's very interesting. Uh, the, you, you remember, uh, well, he's going to, you know, he's going he's to look up and he'd say, Oh, for heaven's sakes, the Pickwick Papers, by George. Don't you believe that Sam is one of the greatest people you've ever met in your life? And you won't know who the hell Sam is. But you, <laughs> and you're really up against it if the actual book is there. You'll have to you know, start ad-libbing very fast. So now you can get a complete bound library without troublesome books. Impossible, you say? I'm reading to you the, uh, the uh, brilliantly written copy. Although people of that type, you know, I don't know whether they could get this far down in a copy. Although I imagine, <laughs> you know, oh, if they were, I could see their lips moving as they read it. Impossible, you say? Oh, not with these fabulous library panels. They are real, superb quality book bindings, framed in walnut-finished wood and attached to any wall instantly with self-contained super tape. Decorate it then. Impress friends with the classics. Have a row or do a wall. In fact, you can do several rooms and be fantastically literate. Ten different models available. Each is 11 inches by 25 inches, and you can get them in the general library panel. You know, just general stuff. Or you can have a complete set of the English classics going back to the late 8th century. <laughs> or you can have a representative selection of late 19th century and 20th century writings including several well-known poets. I think that's kind of nice. Without uh, The key word is troublesome. Uh, troublesome books. Now, that's the slob at work. See, he wants something for nothing. He wants to have this uh, the appearance of literacy without, uh, you know, hurting your eyes, being embarrassed by reading an entire book and not knowing what the hell they're talking about from one end to the other. That's embarrassing. I have been, uh, I've been continually confronted with the... Uh, psychological and the philosophical uh, problems of myself personally attempting to get something or nothing. For example, practically hardly a day goes by here. But what I do not get in the mail, 
a letter, usually typewritten, and it says, uh, Dear Sir, usually it says, uh, Dear Sir, it says, Dear Sir, do not break the good luck chain of this letter. General C.L. Watanabe of uh, El Alamein, Africa, did not break the chain, and within two weeks was the recipient of $20,000 in cash. Do not break the chain. Uh, put your name at the bottom of the letter and send it on with ten copies to friends of yours and have them put, and at the end of that time, you will receive unexpected good fortune. Do not break the chain. Did you ever get one of those? Everybody has. Who are the dill docs that send them on? I have never sent any on of you. Not once. I usually make paper airplanes out of mine when I get them. They make very good airplanes. I mean, uh, but yet they persist in coming. There has to be somebody sending them because they come with stamps. Somebody is sending those out. There must be a world headquarters of slobism that sends that kind of stuff out, you know. Because I have, uh, this is a variation, you know, on the chain letter. Did you ever have any experience with a chain letter? Well, if there was ever a guy, ever in this life, who wanted something for nothing, it was my old man. I mean, he figured one day he was at the jackpot. And uh, he figured, you know, his, his answer to, to any and all scoffers was, well, what do you mean? You never know. You never know. Absolutely never know. After all, somebody has to win. Well, he's right. Up to a point. And so he never stopped. And so every couple of days, the local newspaper, for example, would have a big thing that says, win $50,000, match the president's noses. The following pictures contain the dissembled noses of 32 American presidents. Match those noses correctly, and you will be in line to win $50,000 and 250 other great cash awards, plus a trip to Bermuda. You've seen those. You haven't. You have lived a very sheltered life. You mean you haven't seen the contest that says, join the dotted line? Yes, you've seen that one. Well, all right, that's a variation of the same thing. And so the old man was always doing these things. And every couple of days, he would, he would come home with a, with a chain letter, see? And the chain letter always started out with the same. It says, uh, send a dollar, or a dime, or whatever it was. It says, send a dollar to the name on the top of the list. Put your name on the bottom of the list, and then give this letter to ten of your friends and have them send out copies, putting their name on the bottom. You must give it to ten friends. And at the end of two and a half weeks, you will receive a minimum of $27,942. If the chain is not broken, act now. So he would take the letter. <laughs> he would put a dollar in it. He would fold it up and send it up. And we never heard another thing from him. Well, there were always rumors floating around of various other guys that hit the fantastic jackpot. I mean, guys who other guys knew. As far as I knew, my own man never actually knew a guy that did it. But he would come home and say, hey, let me tell you, you know, you're laughing about that chain letter I said. My mother, you know, always was putting them down, see, and, uh, you know, with the chain letter thing. So he would come home with these great stories. He'd say, hey, hey, you were laughing? You were laughing about the chain letter? Well, let me tell you a little story I heard today at the office. Sherby met a man down at the Bluebird Tavern, whose cousin has now retired and is living in Spain. 
In one week, he received over $95,000 in $5 bills because of a chain letter. Oh, oh, and you're laughing. I could be that very lucky person. We certainly could use some new, uh, some new pillowcases around here, couldn't we? Well, that's the way it would go, see? So my honey, you know, uh, this would go on week after week after week. And one day, Mrs. Bruner came over. Now, Mrs. Bruner weighed, though, seven, eight hundred, maybe nine hundred pounds. And uh, she was always reading true romances and photo play. These were her two twin gods of literature. And that uh, she came over one day, came into the kitchen, and gave my mother a long story about a chain letter. This was a chain letter that somehow scored with my mother. It was the first time my mother fell into the chain letter bit. And she was so afraid that my old man was going to discover it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she knew because you know she'd been put down the chain of this And how I knew this, it was on a Saturday morning that Mrs. Bruner came over. The old man was gone somewhere, and they talked about, well, maybe half an hour, and I'm hanging around the kitchen. I heard the whole thing, see? And Mrs. Bruner says, I want you to, uh, you know, I'd just love to have you take this one because I sent, I sent some myself, and I have to give ten other people this, and you're the only one I know who, uh, you know, I've given one to my sister and my cousin and... And uh, so my mother took the chain letter, and she, that afternoon, without saying a damn thing, sent away the chain letter. She went out, you know, immediately she calls up on the phone. She calls all her sisters. She had about five sisters, you know, and they all had, they all had cousins and all that stuff. You know, and they all had, they all had cousins and all that stuff. And she's rid of the ten mothers like that, see? And, and nobody's the wiser. She never figured anything was going to happen, you know, because of... Uh, Poor Mrs. Bruner, she did it, see. Well, about three days later, it took about three days. It was fantastic. About three days later, the mailman comes struggling up our walk. He's struggling. He's got a gigantic sack full of mail, you know, and he's really bugged. I remember Mr. Stanford, the mailman, comes up and he says, what, what is all this, you know? And, and my mom says, and she takes all these letters, and, and she's got a stack full of letters in the living room. Look, she's really scared now because the old man's going to find out. It's like, well, yeah. she hit him down the basement. I'll have to tell you what she had to send away. She did not send money. She did not send a dollar because sending a dollar would have caused a lot of hollering around the house. She sent a wash rag. Send one wash rag to the name at the top of the list, and you can be the recipient of a fantastic new collection of wash, a new wash rag he had to send. Not an old one, a new wash rag. Well, my mother, at the end of three days, had gotten about 400 wash rags. Fantastic! They were coming in from all over the country, California. They were coming in from Utah, from Maine, from Idaho. She's getting wash rags mailed in the mail. Well, you can't hide 400 wash rags very easily, especially new wash rags. Not around a house where, you know, we had a total of five wash rags to our name. Well, by the end of the second week, you won't believe this, my mother has received over 2,000 wash rags. By the end of the fourth week, she is now approaching... It was unbelievable. We had wash rags in the living room. We had wash rags piled up in the bathroom. We had them piled up under the kitchen sink. And before it was over, my mother had received, by actual count, 
17,120 wash rags. Now think carefully about this, friends. You're just listening to this story, but I'm, this is a true story. 17, do you, do you have any, do you have even the faintest idea of how many wash rags 17,000 wash rags is? I mean, you pile 10 wash rags up and you got a lot of wash rags. Pile 20 up and you got too many. Pile 50 up and you're ready to go into business. We had wash rags. My mother was putting them in the pillowcases and sticking them under the, under the basement stairs. Wash rags, 17,000 wash rags. Well, when my old man found out about this, because he couldn't, you know, he'd sit there in the wash rags. Over. I remember he put it so nicely into perspective. He says, I see no reason why we should have to win on the wash rag chain letter, and we can't get a single dollar back on a real chain letter. My mother got a little afraid after a while. The police were going to come. Well, chain letters, by the way, were illegal. And she was afraid Mr. Sanford, the mailman, was going to turn her in for running an illegal chain letter dealing in wash rags. She had 17,000 wash rags. And two weeks ago, just two weeks ago tonight, I called her, you know. When it came up, I said, hey, Ma, I said, uh, still got some of those wash rags? Then <laughs> I got wash rags. She still has over 12,000 wash rags. After all, how many wash rags can you use in a lifetime? And my mother's not the type that throws wash rags away. So you never know, friends. You may hit the jackpot. You just never know.